we are going to continue on in the series we're doing called Be the Church. Um, we're taking time through this series. This, I think, is really important for you to get a hold of the idea that we are the church. Um, the church isn't something that we do. Church is something that we are. And so when you read about the church in the Bible, it's always about people. It's either about uh, the believers from the time of Jesus till now, the 2,000 years or so, that makes the church, all those people. Or it's about a group of believers in a specific place, but it's always about people. Uh, and so um, right now we're the church gathered corporately. When you leave the facility here in a little while, you'll still be the church. You'll just be the church on mission. But you're the church. So, so it, uh, we kind of tend to think of church as something that we go and do, you know, and, and yet you're the church 24-7. You're, you're always the church. It's about people. Since it's about people, it's also about relationships. And it's about our relationship with God. It's about our relationship with the people of God and about our relationship with the future people of God. And all of those relationships, I think, can be looked at in the context of discipleship and fellowship and mission and worship. So we're going to dig into those things through this series. Right now we're talking about what it means to be a disciple. And that works really well with today's discussion as we talk about being uh, blessing the fishermen and what that means. And... Um, there was a lot of fishermen in his early disciple group. We think seven of the twelve were actually fishermen. So Jesus has a, a place in his heart for fishermen and what that means. So we're going to dig into that together. So that's the intro. Transition, always a bad joke or silly. This is for the non-fishermen. This, Dave Barry actually wrote this. He wrote, Fishing is boring unless you catch an actual fish and then it's disgusting. <laughs> it resonates with the non-fishermen. Someone else wrote this, nothing makes a fish bigger than almost being caught. <laughs> a small town doctor was famous in the area for always catching large fish. One day while he was on one of his frequent fishing trips, he got a call that a woman at a neighboring farm was giving birth. And he rushed to her aid and delivered a healthy baby boy. The farmer had nothing to weigh the baby with, so the doctor used his fishing scales. The baby weighed 21 pounds, 13 ounces. All right, that's enough of that. So, as I said earlier, uh, Jesus had a place in his heart for fishermen. Fishermen have great qualities. And I know he saw that in the guys that he was calling. And because um, they were, like, when he was calling them, they were busy. They were doing things. They were either casting their nets or preparing their nets or, or mending their nets or washing them, whatever. Uh, and so, fishermen are at the ready. Fishermen um, tend to be patient most of the time because sometimes you have to wait in order to catch a fish, you know, and so they would, you know, that thing would just stay in this spot for a little bit longer, so they, they tend to be patient. Um, uh, fisher, fisher people that go fishing go expecting to catch something, so they're expected. They're not just going for no reason. They have, they have purpose and they have courage, and sometimes they'll go out in bad weather and all those things. Uh, Alice and I, we used to watch that, um, that show, Deadly as Catch, and... Uh, there's no way I would go and do some of that stuff. But that's what they did. They were out there in it. So fishermen have some great qualities. And, and so we're going to explore that today. And I want to look at a, um, a passage with you about Jesus relating to his disciples and what's going on. So let's hop in with our scripture reading and then we'll talk about it. John 21, beginning in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. 
I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So um, this is a great story and we're going to dig into it together. I want to give it some context. I'd encourage you to go and read this chapter and the chapter before it because this is some amazing things that happen in what's going on. But what's happening is um, Jesus, the, the resurrection of Jesus has taken place. And so the, the disciples have been through the crucifixion and the resurrection and they've seen the resurrected Jesus twice at this point in time. But they're still not really sure what's going on. Um, and, and so they're, they're in this sort of waiting mode. And Peter... Um, is dealing with the, the reality that before the crucifixion, he had denied Jesus uh, three times. And, and now Jesus is back, and he's not sure how he fits any longer. And remember, there was always this thing among the disciples, particularly Peter, John, and James, about who was the greatest. And Peter was always kind of arrogant in that. And now he's messed up, and he knows it. And they're not sure what it looks like any longer. They've spent the three years of their life kind of following Jesus, and that was everything. And now they just don't know what's coming and what's coming next. So Peter, he just, uh, he says, hey, I'm going back to what I know. I'm going fishing. And the rest of the fishermen disciples, we figure all seven of those guys were fishermen, said, okay, well, we'll go with you. And so he goes back to what he knows. Remember, through this, he's been called to be fishers of men now. Everything has changed. The dynamic has changed, but they're not quite there yet. And so I want you to think about perhaps what the, the disciples were feeling because we're going to be talking about that together. And, and I would say that, that because they, I mean, there's certainly they'd seen Jesus and they were happy about that, but they just didn't know what was next or what was coming. And it had been a tough season. So perhaps they were tired or perhaps they were weary or, or they were dealing with feeling unsettled in some ways, or maybe they were frustrated just by things. And so all of this is going on and Jesus is going to come and he's going to minister to them in some very neat ways. Well, they go fishing and they don't catch anything. All night long. These are professional fishermen. They don't catch anything all night long. And somebody shows up on the beach, who they don't recognize, by the way, and says, just kind of think how you would feel. Hey, caught any fish? <laughs> so just try and imagine how that might feel. And, and they, they go, no. And, uh, and he says, you know what? Why don't you uh, put your net out on the right side of the boat? Again, can you? These are professional fishermen. There's somebody from the beach they don't know. They've been doing this all night. Stick your stick your net out over there, whatever, and they catch this great catch of fish, and everything changes, and they realize that it's Jesus. But I think at that moment when when he asked that question, it's just to get them in touch with what they're feeling. You know what's going on in the process, and and Jesus asked the question even knowing what they needed, uh, and, and he knows what we need. Matthew six eight says, "Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him." So He already knows what's going on in us, but He wants us to to share our need with Him. In Philippians four nineteen, Paul says, "And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus." See, because before Jesus can fill us with His power. We, we have to admit that we're empty. See, we have to realize that in ourselves we are powerless, but that apart from Him we can do nothing, but with Him all things are possible. 
And so we have to be able to connect with what we're going through in order to ask for the help that we need so that we can be walking in His power and in His ways and yielded to the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I, I, all this is going on. And then think about this. Jesus tells them, go ahead, put your net on the other side. They catch this huge number of fish. And the Bible actually records that number of fish for us. It's 153 fish are in the net. And I'd encourage you to do this too. If you get a chance this week, go and Google. Why is that an important number? What's going on with that? Why is it specifically recorded how many fish were in the net? And there's all kinds of theories. Uh, Jerome, back in the second century, and one of the church fathers, he said, well, they represented all the known species of fish at the time, and it was a picture of you know, all the nations coming to know Jesus. And then mathematicians get a hold of that number, and there's all sorts of theories about this 153 number, like, like the square root of it apparently is the same number as the number of, of lunar cycles. And then, so it has somehow relates to that. And they got Pythagoras involved and they took two circles and they, they sort of joined them together in the spot in the middle where they overlap. They put a fish in there and they said somehow that's the square root of something and it comes out to 153. There's all these different theories of what it might possibly mean, triangle theories and all kinds of stuff. Well, I'll tell you what it means, so you don't have to if you don't want to look up. I happen to know what it means. Because I've spent some time with fishermen. Because I've been here a very long time. I've done my share of fishing. And uh, here's why they had to record the number of fish. Because if they didn't write that number down, the next time that story got told, it would have been a higher number. And then a higher number, and a higher number. Bigger, better, more... 2,000 years later, 14 million fish were in the net. So it's been recorded for you, so now you know. You can see what's going on. But with that said, let's talk about what they're going through. So, as his disciples, sometime you might be feeling tired or weary. Just going through and not sure what's going on, waiting to see what's happening, where are we at? And let me say there's a difference between being tired and weary. And... The way I, I, I know to tell the difference is if you're tired, um, usually that can be fixed with a snack and a nap. And if you're weary, it can't. And, and so if you've, ever, if you've been here for years, we used to talk about a snack and a nap all the time. It's actually a very biblical concept. Uh, and I, I taught him, so I'll, I'll just kind of catch you up in case you weren't here. Way back in 1 Kings 18, there's a guy named Elijah who was the prophet of Israel. And Israel was in a, uh, a terrible place at this time. They had an evil king and an evil queen, Ahab, queen Ahab and Jezebel. And they had all these false prophets and these false gods that they worshipped. And uh, this duel sort of comes up between Elijah, the prophet of the true God, and all the false prophets, 450 of them. And the, the deal is they're each going to have this uh, sacrifice, uh, this animal sacrifice, and they're going to call on their God, and whoever's, whichever God lights up, burns up the sacrifices, the true God. The false prophets get to go first. And they spend all day crying out to their false gods and nothing happens. They do all sorts of stuff. You can read about it in 1 Kings 18. Elijah, it's finally his turn. Remember, this is important too, because this has been a long day. He gets out, sets out his offering uh, to the Lord, uh, and then he even douses it with water, and he calls on the Lord, and the Lord sets it on fire. And everybody knows that God is the true God. And the, the, the false prophets are dealt with. They're, they're actually put to death, all 100 and 450 of them. And uh, Elijah goes on, and if you keep reading in 1 Kings 18, there's been a drought in Israel, and he seizes on the moment, and he prays, and uh, all of a sudden a cloud shows up in the distance, and there's rain. This is a huge day for Elijah. It's huge to see God move. But it's been going on a long time. And then Ahab says, I'm going to tell Jezebel what happened. 
And Elijah sets off running to go and see what happened because he's feeling pretty good, although he doesn't realize it, but he's probably getting a little tired at this point. And he goes running now. After the end of his day, he goes and sees, and Jezebel gets the news, and she gets a word to Elijah, and she says, by the end of the day, what's going to happen to you is the same thing that happened to those false prophets. She's going to call on those false gods to take care of Elijah. Well, because Elijah had been through this long day, that he'd seen God move so miraculously in so many ways, and yet all of a sudden he lets that thing sink into him. And he believes that lie. And it kind of ruins him for a little bit. And it's, it's, ultimately it's because he's tired. And that can happen. You ever know how something when you're tired, something that can be seen way bigger than it really is? So what he does is he kind of goes and he runs off. And uh, he gets by himself. And uh, in First Kings 19, uh, the, the story picks up. And uh, he, he's gone running. He's sitting down in First Kings 19.3. It says, When he came to Beersheba in Judah... He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So think about it. He said, this great huge day of God moving miraculously over and over and over again. One little lie comes in because he's tired. He runs off, sits under a tree and says, kill me now. Yeah. And then he falls asleep. But look what happens. I love this. 1 Kings 19, 5 and 6. You should probably write that one down. Look it up. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank. And then he lay down again. So actually what he does is a nap and a snack and a nap. But uh, I've shortened it. Snack and a nap. So if you're tired, if you've got something like that, that's where you start. Start with a snack and a nap. And if you wake up feeling better, you are just tired all as well. Because that's what he does. He wakes up and he kind of deals with things. But if it's beyond tired, if that doesn't work, then you're weary. And weariness is one of those things that you have to get with the Lord to deal with. You, you just have to get and ask for strength. Uh, Isaiah 40, 28 and through 31. Do you not know, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So, so if you're beyond tired and you're in that weary spot as one of his disciples, then you need to call out to him and ask him for strength and he'll give it to you and put your hope in him and he'll take you there. Second, are you unsettled? See, they, these guys were going through all these emotions and we go through all sorts of things while we're walking this out. And sometimes this feeling of unsettledness comes upon us. And the, the way I, I can describe it, I try and describe it, it's like juggling plates. To think about the picture, although I can't personally juggle plates, uh, I've never been coordinated enough to figure that out. But I've seen people doing it, and, and see, once you've got plates going in the air, you can't stop. You know what I mean? You can't take a break, because if you, if you mess up, if you take your eye off of it somehow, it goes crashing down, and everything comes crashing down. And, and that's what it feels like to be unsettled. You, you, just, you feel like you can't step out even for a second, because if you do, everything's going to fall apart. And ultimately, that's a control issue. In Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. See, there, there's something significant in that because um, we are sort of 
on all the time in our culture. We have a tendency to keep going. And even as disciples, we just keep pushing and we're doing and we're doing in our own strength. And what happens is, when you're unsettled like that, what's happened is you're, you're not allowed to find a place of rest. You're not finding rest. And, and yet, you're created to be at rest. You, you're wired to need rest. And we've talked throughout this series about the Ten Commandments. And I, I don't want to go through it all again today. But remember, it was never intended to be a law thing. It's a love thing. They were given, the Ten Commandments were given to people that had already been rescued and delivered. And it was how they were to love. And the first three were about how they were to love God. And the last six are about how you love others. The fourth one is sort of the bridge between the two. And I say that's the one where you, it's all about loving yourself. And it's about Sabbath. It's about a Sabbath rest. And if we don't figure that one out, we're we not good at the first three or the last six. We have to get this one figured out. But somehow over time, this amazing gift that God gives us of rest has been changed into, oh, because when I say Sabbath to a lot of people, it doesn't resonate as a good thing. It resonates as an annoying thing or something, or all those rules we have to follow. Or oftentimes if I talk about a Sabbath, people will come and say, what days does it have to be in? What are the rules? And, and you need to know the Sabbath is, is just a day in the week when you decide to stop doing all the things that you normally do, which is basically work, and you, you take a day that's about you and God. You take a day to love on God and be loved by Him. You take in that same day to love the people around you that God has put in your life. You take that day to do things that you enjoy, things that you don't always get to do, to enjoy His creation, to go out and have some fun, to do those things. That's Sabbath. Sabbath should be the, the idea, it should be the, the day you look forward to the most. It's the best day of the week. Not, oh no, it's, it's like, yes, it's finally here. And you get a chance to step back and to do the things that you enjoy doing and stop for a moment just kind of hang out with him and your friends and maybe sit down and read a book or go fishing or do something fun that you all enjoy. And it should be a highlight uh, of your life. And see, that's the idea. But when you're unsettled, you can't get there because you think if you stop even for a moment, everything's going to come crashing down. And it's not how God wants you to live. He's, he's created you to take that time to rest and to find rest in your soul. So if you're unsettled, you, you need to just stop and say, you know what? He's good. I can trust him. He's got it. He does. He's way better at that stuff than we are. Third, are you frustrated? That's a great question, isn't it? Anybody here ever get frustrated? I bet some of you were frustrated yesterday following boats and trailers. and See? <laughs> I wonder what the... Dis- so, and please, nobody shout out anything. This is important. Just follow along when the disciples had fished all night and hadn't caught anything and some guy on the beach who they don't know yells out yay caught anything what do you think they wanted to say (laughs) these are fishermen by the way seven of them I think just the height of frustration and and yet Jesus knows that Um, but here's the thing I think when, when we are frustrated, if we can catch ourselves, we don't have to stay there. 
And so when, whenever that happens, when there's no grace for people just having life, you know, when, 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 when we're not able to be excited about people, you know, and doing what they do and stuff, and everything is just about us, there's these verses that I've shared with you over and over again, but I keep coming back to because they're so important. They're in Philippians 4. And these are my go-to verses throughout the day. And, and I hope you've, you've learned them. And if not, start to learn them and get a hold of them. Uh, beginning in verse 6, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, see there's this idea uh, of when we catch ourselves in our frustration, when we feel things becoming bigger than they need to be, we just need to remember this verse and understand that he doesn't want us to be anxious. Peter has this amazing fisherman verse in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's an actual, it's a, it's a fisherman thing. It's about casting. It was about casting their nets, but you get it. For, this is my picture of casting a rod. Does that make sense? I hope you get it. Or is it this? However you guys do it. Uh, or if you're fancy, it's like this. I don't know. But anyway. Cast it out there. And that's what you're to do with your, with your mess. If you're frustrated, you cast it on the Lord. And He takes it. See, that's what He does. And what He wants from us as His disciples is to know this place in our lives where, where we understand how good He is and how much He loves us. And when we're tired or weary or uh, unsettled or frustrated, we come to Him so that we have that life again. Because it's living that life that impacts the world around us, not just getting all caught up with everybody else. And so I want to encourage you, if you're feeling any of those things, just ask for help. That's what you need to do. Just go to Him and ask for help. And he, He'll meet you there. And He'll help you in those situations. Okay, so what I want to do is, I, I want to bless the fishermen. I'm going to do this in two phases, if you would. I want to start with the commercial folks, the people that do it for a living, and then we'll, we'll, we'll bless everybody else, all right? So let's start with this. If you're a commercial fisherman, if, you, if, you are, if you're a captain or a mate on a boat, if you take out charters, if you are a guide uh, on the waters, whatever, but your livelihood comes from the being on the ocean, why don't you go ahead and stand up so I can pray for you? So if it's your living, it's your livelihood, you're out on the waters, okay. There you go. Cool. Okay, let's pray for you guys, and then we'll pray for you. Papa, I pray for those who make their living out on the water. And I ask God that you would bless them and encourage them, that even in the day-to-day stuff of being out there and all the things that take place, that they would always sense um, your presence, and they would always enjoy your creation, God. And they would be reminded how amazing it is. I pray that you would keep them safe and give them strength through the long days. I pray that they would be prosperous. I pray for their equipment, God, that it would run well and smoothly and do them well. And God, that your blessing would be upon them now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You guys can sit down. All right, now, next group of people I want to pray for. So uh, anybody here involved with uh, fishing in any way, recreationally, you're scuba-ing, you're snorkel-ing, you're spear-fishing, you're out there catching fish, uh, you're enjoying all that process, you're going on the boat, all of you, I want you to be safe. Why don't you stand up so I can pray for you? That should be a lot of you. And trust me, with mini-season, you want a blessing. Papa, thank you for all of these, and I pray your blessing on each one, Lord, for all those that have come to enjoy this area. 
for all of us that live here, Lord, and, and how much we enjoy it, I pray blessing, Lord. I pray wisdom. I pray, pray patience, God. I pray for great provision, Lord, as they go and as they fish, that they catch. I pray, God, that you would keep them safe. Uh, and, and, Lord, that, that they would enjoy this time with you, always remembering your goodness to them. And so I pray your blessing now on each one. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. All right, you guys can sit down. Good job. We're basically done. Ministry team, those of you here want your head over the wall. People on the way over the wall here to pray for you. Let me pray for you as a group, and then we'll dismiss. Papa, thank you for your goodness to us and your love for us. You're such an awesome God. Thank you for the privilege of being your kids, your disciples, and knowing, God, that, that you meet us at the point of our need. And God, I pray that that, uh, we would just continue to press into you. And not only that we would be changed, but it would impact the world around us for you. That you would bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough to this area. That hundreds and thousands of people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray for every church in this area, God, where your word is preached. Ask that you would bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God, to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. Just one more lost child back to you, Dad. Just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story here in this time and place. You're such an awesome, awesome God. If you need prayer this morning for anything, the folks over there will pray for you. Healing, relationships, problems, finances, situations, whatever you got. They'll pray for you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let's take care of that this morning as well. It's, it's humility and faith. In humility, it's just admitting to God you're broken. Like all the rest of us here, you've sinned. Asking God to forgive you what you do. And then in faith, inviting and accepting Jesus into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, do it now. Best decision you will ever make in your life. If you need help, just go and ask somebody. Say, hey, I want to know Jesus. They'll know exactly what you mean. They'll help you with that prayer. So if you need prayer for that or for anything, I'd encourage you to get it. If you're going to stay in our breakfast, Lord, thank you for the food you provided today. Bless that. Everybody that makes it possible, draw people in for the 11 o'clock service, God, so they can hear about your amazing love for them as well. You are such an awesome, awesome God. Praise God from whom all blessings. and Holy Ghost. Amen. May the Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you and give you peace. And go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thanks for being here. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to death. Prayer is there. Breakfast will be in the back. As you go, drive safely. Be kind to one another in the parking lot. Have a great day. Catch some fish. Hope your team wins. See you later. Bye. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.